Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. And here we are with a returning champion, someone who's covered a lot of really, really fascinating topics. Some of them, you know, they're they're better left to folks like William Ramsey, I think, because I don't have the stomach to do the research that this man does. William Ramsey, uh, you know him from his podcast, William Ramsey Investigates. He has a number of books and films that you can check out right now. They're out there. Uh, you can go to WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com to check all of that out. Uh, but today, I asked William to come back on the show, and it turns out this is uh, a great time to have him on, uh, considering his expertise. Um and the recent discovery that these smiley face killings may still be taking place uh, to this day, whether or not the city of Austin wants to acknowledge that. Uh, we're going to get into the details of that today. But either way, William, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invite back, Mark. It's great to be with you again. It's been too long. Yeah, thank you. You're a great researcher. And like I said, you know, you're researching some things that I personally, I get the chills looking into some of this stuff because it is, there's a dark reality to uh, the occult and paranormal. Uh, and I think a lot of people maybe wade into that subject with a lot of curiosity and naivete. And it's great, you know, to have a, a person like you who's sort of, uh, I guess, clarifying that it's not all, you know, roses and and sunshine. So we're going to wade into that in a moment, but I, I do want to ask you, and excuse me if I asked you this the first time you're on the show, if folks haven't heard our first interview together, go back and listen to that. Uh, but, you know, where did this interest start for you? I mean, in my opinion, you're, you're kind of like a PI, you're kind of like a detective, you know, but in the sense that, you know, you're writing about this stuff rather than, you know, using a badge to go chase down criminals. I mean, do you have a, a background in law enforcement? What what got you into this stuff, William? I think it was just following the trail. I just, each one of these books or projects that I came up with came out of an earlier project. So I looked into Crowley and that led me to the West Memphis Three, which led me to the Crowley's Followers, which was my third book, Children of the Beast. And while I was researching Children of the Beast, I kept seeing this smiley face around and seeing it in Common Culture and Alan Moore. And that's kind of what led me to the smiley face killers, which is what this phenomenon has been termed by the two guys who kind of researched it from the beginning again and at Gilbertson. But it just was kind of just one thing led to the other. And a lot of these things, I kind of had a an impression on those subjects that was very topical. So it made me want to research like this phenomenon I thought was a urban myth. I thought it was like uh, Bigfoot or something like that or the... Uh, I don't know, you know, some other kind of uh, myth. But then I started really researching it and I started following cases and found that it really was happening, that there really were young men all over the country and the world, in fact, that have met by misadventure and ended up in water. And a lot of it's inexplicable. They're not explained by going to the, you know, somebody sees them. Hey, I'm going to go take a dip in the water. See you guys. I'll be back in a half an hour. But they're more of like, Oh, they were acting strange, then they disappeared, and then they were found in water, you know, 25, 30 days later. So I categorized those two, those kind of deaths and put together two documentaries. The first one was done in 2017. Title is Smiley Face Killers Who is Abducting, Murdering, and Torturing 
men in the US and UK. And then the second one I did over COVID, and that was titled Smiley Face Killers, The Global Slaughter Continues, because it's happening in England and Netherlands and France and things like that. So something strange is happening on the global scale, something criminal, but uh, something has happened recently where these cases have started to happen in Chicago and Austin. And uh, so there's a lot going on. And really, I've never, it's really, in all the time I've been researching this, it's been six or seven years, this is an extraordinary, unprecedented time of these types of disappearances and water deaths is a way to put it in. Yeah, and, and how far back? I mean, because Gilbertson and Gannon, they were, you know, they coined the term. And I remember, let's say, probably six years ago, uh, I remember listening to a couple podcasts about this and around the same time seeing uh, this smiley face in media, like just unrelated in maybe like, a, I think, a superhero movie or something like that. I remember seeing like a smiley face and having that similar thought to you, like, oh, this must be one of these, you know, uh, creepy pasta type internet rumor things, you know. But uh, I soon found out, no, there's a darkness to it. When were the first smiley face killings? I mean, were, were Gilbertson and Gannon, they, were they looking at cold case files or were they looking at things that were happening contemporary to them? I think it was contemporary to them. So I think Gilbert Gilbertson is in, I think, Wisconsin. I think he's in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where their young men were being found in water. So he was seeing this phenomenon happen firsthand. Uh, he's a professor. And then Gannon is a New York Police Department member who saw that happening in New York City, which is kind of a hot spot. But really the first case, and they've done 14 cases analyzed on their book, Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. and they also did a six-part series on oxygen, about six cases. So, But their original case, which they call their original, is a guy by the name of Patrick McNeil, who uh, disappeared. He was a student at Fordham University, kind of the far north part of Manhattan. And he was at a bar and walked out, disappeared, and was later found in kind of a water uh, treatment facility down the Hudson in a kind of a bad shape. And so that was kind of the first case, but then all these cases started stacking up around the country. So they just, they were the ones who gave the name smiley face killers to this phenomenon because they said they found uh, the smiley face associated with these deaths where they think the bodies were put in water. And so that came the smiley face killers usually it was spray painted in kind of an orange or red smiley face, sometimes with horns but they're still around, actually. They uh, Gannon just did an uh, interview in January, fairly recently, for Barstool Chicago because of what's happening in Chicago. So he explained kind of all the cases, and they, he he made statements like, "Hey, we have a lot of graffiti associated with this." He said something like thirteen or fourteen symbols. So they know stuff that I don't. Uh, I've never really gone on site and. Uh, looked at these cases i've really just kind of looked at them through the media but uh those are really kind of the beginning cases were really pro that? probably that was 97 mcneil okay. was 97 and uh it's just kind of taken off from there it slowed down over covid and then now it's kind of just burning up it's picked up again in right. a in a strange yeah very uncomfortable way all well, over the country it's not just really chicago or austin too there's other cities 
Yeah, and, and, you know, we should say, you know, Chicago and Austin, this is like within the past month or two, there have been bodies that have turned up. And uh, I have been uh, keeping up with Austin just as a comedy fan. There's tons of stuff going on in Austin. Uh, you know, people who aren't interested in comedy might not know this, but there's recently, you know, all these festivals and Joe Rogan's bringing all these comics there. So Austin's becoming like this kind of new hot spot where you know uh, a lot of people went especially during the the pandemic you know because it was less restricted over there so i imagine yeah given that uh, this crime kind of requires there to be an active party social scene you know it's probably predicated on where people are actually doing that that tends to be places where uh, universities are right where there's young people this is a demographic of typically unless we're looking at a place like New York City where you could have people up to their, you know, 40s going out every night partying, right? I, that's more of like a, a city lifestyle, but yeah, it's fascinating. Now, I've heard you say on other interviews that you've written about this, that uh, you don't believe these are, this is a single operative. This is a, this has to be a sort of syndicate or a loose group of, of people, right? I mean, what, what indicates that? Well, just because it's happening in two geographic areas. So the same kind of things are happening in Austin and Chicago. So it makes me think somebody isn't traveling between Austin and Chicago. Somebody may be communicating. So I've surmised, other researchers have surmised that it's a cellular group, smaller groups who know this kind of MO that they can drug people and get kind of get away with the crimes that they want to commit for whatever motive. It usually doesn't have, there's no, often no kind of financial kind of motivation. So something else is going on. Oftentimes these guys don't have their credit cards run or anything like that. But I I think it's that's the same, not just recently, but all through time is that there's been other hotspots. So Boston, New York, Chicago now, Austin. Austin is kind of strange. It wasn't always as what it was like now. But uh, I mean, you could do the overlapping study on some of those most recent cases, cases and these guys probably... Uh, you know, it would be unbelievable to think one guy's flying in between, for me, between Austin, Houston, Chicago, because there were three in, in Houston, like these names, Ridge Cole, Delano Brooks, Tevion Bass, all happened kind of very close to each other. And then there were also some other ones. Uh, I mean, the Austin cases recently are Jason John, Jonathan Honey, Cliff Axtell, John Christopher Hayes Clark was found uh, just the 15th of April. So that was fairly recent. Um, and you did you did just excuse me if I heard this incorrectly, but did you mention Alana Brooks? Is that a female? Because no, Delano, it's a, it, it was an African American actually. He was missing oh. thirteen days. Yeah, Delano so, Brooks in in Houston, so it wasn't and, even in Austin. But, but basically, uh, the point is, is that they're all males. The victims right, are right, all right. males. This is another one of these consistencies with this pattern. And uh, another interesting thing to note is that especially in Austin. I mean, New York City, Boston, right? You're on the ocean. This is a harbor town. There are places where people can, you know, fall in the water theoretically, right? And maybe, uh, you know, get swept away by the current. But in a place like Austin, uh, this this body of water that people are being found in, I mean, can't be more than 15, 20 feet deep at its most, right? I mean, it's a very shallow body of water. Yeah, and it's it's not really a fast-moving body of water. It's a lake. You can just go take pictures. You can look at it online. 
uh, probably a live action shot. You just would pop back up. So why are they being found there? Why isn't anybody seeing them drowned? Right. Uh, no, people are saying they're walking down this kind of long distance to go to the lake, to go to the bathroom. And then suddenly they're able to get there. But once they fall in, they flop around for a minute and drown. <laughs> like it's pretty strange, strange credulity for me to, to believe that these guys are able to supposedly walk there and then suddenly lose their uh, capacities. If anything, it would wake them up and like, hey, I got to get out of here right. uh, if they were really drunk. So the thing that's consistent on all the cases that I've studied, I've studied 120. Now I'm like probably at 140 now. But the consistent thing is nobody sees them goes into the water. And oftentimes these guys aren't drinking that much. So they're not, you know, nobody sees them wasted. Like these most recent guy who was last seen at a, uh, Jonathan Honey at a taco truck, he was sober enough to go to the taco truck and ask for food. So supposedly he then suddenly got super drunk and then drowned in the water. So there's a lot of suspicious things. And, and then the most recent case that a guy was missing for 33 days in Chicago, Seamus Gray, there's literal, he, he's disappeared on St. Patrick's Day. There is literal um, CCTV video of him walking and texting at the same time. So if you're beyond your capacity to kind of, uh, if you're so drunk, you wouldn't be able to walk and text at the same time. It just is, it's not believable. Maybe he was drunk, but he was acting very strange. He went missing. This is all the same kind of theme. People go out in a massive search. Families get involved. PIs, private investigators are hired. They look through these places, and then the body magically shows up, you know, later. Seamus Green was a perfect example. Showed up in a place he should have been found 33 right. days later. Now, with these uh, victims, do they tend to be... Uh, loners or are they often like with a group of people before they're they're missing i mean what's are, are they just college students or going to a place where typically you know they know their peers will be i mean how, how is there a pattern there with the the sort of personal lives of these these victims it seems like a mix but what happens is if they are with a group they get separated one way or another so they either get thrown out of the bar they start a fight with somebody somebody uh, Seamus Gray was fighting on the ground with somebody, very strange, kind of wrestling on the cement. Right. So, you know, people have surmised, and it goes all the way back to Gilbertson again, and they found a lot of these guys had over, you know, amounts of GHB in their, their blood, which is uh, gammy hydroxybutyrate, I think is the technical right. term, which is endogenous. It's in your body, but when you have too much of it, uh, you black out. And so then the body processes it. Uh, metabolizes it but i think that that's kind of what is happening is some of these guys if not most of them are getting drugged and so then the crime that happens they if they don't get abducted they don't remember what happened and they had a case in austin actually a fairly recent case november 2019 a guy by the name of christopher went missing was found kind of in the brushes near the river he had lost the last three days of his time he had no idea what happened to him so I think a lot of these guys are getting drugged with powerful drugs, maybe Rolandol or something like that, oh. and then followed. And then um, obviously people are are drinking alcohol now. This GHP, I'm not familiar particularly. I think the assumption with that most drugs is that oh, you they're they're all in pill form. Uh, is this a pill form? Are they maybe like using some sort of liquid GHP? I mean, how are they slipping this into the, the drinks seamlessly? I think GHB is actually liquid and okay. it is flavorless. 
So you can people wouldn't even know if they got. Uh, so they're theoretically it, you know, using like a, just a drop bottle. or something. Yeah, like a little yeah, dropper. They could, you know, knock into somebody and all of a sudden they're squirting something in their beer and you don't notice because, oh, you're, you know, fumbling your drink around. It's splashing everywhere. They now, just had a case in New York City. They got arrested in April of four guys who were going around drugging people and hmm. stealing their stuff. And people died. People died from the drugging. Like they didn't know. Nobody knew that they were drugged. And there was a series of deaths, and then the police kind of tracked it back and caught these guys. Right. But it shows that this does happen. Now, these guys who got busted, and they were pray, preying on guys in gay bars and all kinds of places like that. But it just goes to show it's happening in other cities. Now, what other stuff these guys were involved with, whether they're involved in any other murders, they said the police file on that case said that they could be involved in as many as 17 other cases. So something like that may be just to explain what's going on in Austin and Chicago is that people are preying on vulnerable people to either steal their stuff or other really nefarious things. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you talking about this and, you know, one of the aspects of that case was the, they were using the, you know, uh, face identification feature on phones to, you know, gain access to places maybe on their phone where they would have needed a password otherwise. Right. So if someone's passed out, you have their face right there, you're on their phone, you unlock it because you're just, you know, pushing it in front of their face. I mean, yeah, that, that might explain uh, some of this, but now, you know, these sorts of intoxicants, these illicit drugs are used frequently in, you know, the gay community, you know, night scene, nightclub scene. Uh, is that a pattern with these smiley face killings? Do these victims tend to be, you know, people who are frequenting those sorts of uh, locations? Are they part of the gay culture or gay community? It's a good question. When I first started studying these cases, there was an over proportion or preponderance of people who were in the gay community. The first victims that I studied, I think, were gay. And on gay apps, it was Joey Labute and Dakota James. One was Ohio, the other's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then I, there was there's like these gay predators that are out there that have been caught um, in Perth, Australia, places all over the world. Perth, Australia, London, England, Manchester. The most prolific male rapist of all time in England was caught a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, his name was Reynard Sinaga. Very, uh, I mean, like you want to talk about somebody who fit into the community. He was from Indonesia, didn't look scary at all. But his technique, and they busted him. What he was doing is he would wait till 2 a.m. and go to the bars and invite people back. Hey, you want to have a drink? Usually, and he was, he was, he, he learned his trade over time, so to speak. So he would go and he lived in the gay community. And he would he liked he bragged about uh, raping non-gay members. He liked to to rape uh, men who were straight. But he would bring them back, give them a drink with drugs, rape, and they never remembered. So he would either kind of get them home or something like that. So they wouldn't even remember their rape. The reason he got busted is somebody woke up and during the drugging, called the cops. The cops got him, and then they looked through his phone and they realized. He had pictures of like 70 or 80 people in there of different men. <laughs> so he had been doing it for a while. And you can look up his name, Reynard Sinaga, S-I-N-A-G-A. And they yeah. kept it quiet. It was like a matter of almost like national security in the UK. They didn't want any press on it until he got convicted. 
And then he got convicted and he went to jail for the rest of his life. But he was part of the LGBT community. He went to a gay church called John Chrysostomos or something like that in, in Manchester. And do you, if you saw him on the street, you would just not even, I mean, I guess that's probably the real thing about these predators is they try not to look like predators. He didn't look like a predator. He was right. a full predator. So I think that something like that may be happening in these other communities. We know we've seen the story of Jeffrey Dahmer too, who was in Milwaukee and eventually was a predator in Chicago. He was drugging people for years and raping them and doing other things. He actually got, got kicked out of a gay bathhouse for drugging people. So what if somebody like him and that kind of profile is doing the same thing to unsuspecting people in Austin and Chicago and really doing horrible things and then, you know, giving more drugs and then they drown, they drown or they're drowned in somebody's bathtub and then they're taken and, and put in the water. So then the the cops go, oh, they look, he drowned. He drowned in the Lake Michigan. But some of these places, they're just not lethal bodies of water. Like, it's very hard to believe that they would actually do this. They're not normal water deaths, too. It's not like Joe went to the beach at 3 o'clock. He's not a good swimmer. And then he didn't. He got caught in a riptide and died. These are people who are going out with no intent to go to the water, having drinks with friends, acting strange, separated, and then never seen again until found in water. So I believe yeah. all, a lot of these are body dumps. Like, and there's hundreds of them. Now, is there a way, you know, let's say, because it is, there was one aspect to a case you mentioned earlier about, you know, uh, a person being found in a body of water that was previously searched. Uh, is there any indications with the, you know, the the victims, the corpses that they may have been, you know, let's say killed uh, before being put in the water, uh, you know, would their body maybe appear to have drowned because, let you know, your lungs will fill with water and whatnot. Uh, is there any indication? There's a lot. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of those cases. The first one I mentioned to you, McNeil, the, the parents didn't see the autopsy until like 10 years later. And they mm -hmm. got the autopsy for McNeil and gave it to Cyril Wecht, like one of the most prominent uh well-respected forensic pathologist and he said this guy's been hitting the head with a hammer and somebody blowtorched the top of his body off like he was stuck in a chair so that was never divulged to the parents they had to find out through a third party so that's one example um there's many others were strange one of the cases that gilbertson and gannon um found i think it was in uh where's it lacrosse wisconsin or something like that the guy had clearly been frozen. He was frozen when he got put in the water. So somebody tried to do something with his body. And that was why the Iceman, that one serial killer, got his nickname. Because he would confuse police by freezing some of his victims before he dumped them. Um, so that happened in, in one of these smiley face killing cases. And some of them just aren't really very well recorded. A lot of these medical examiners, I think, are not doing a very good job. And... Uh, so so some of these people are found they don't have water i'd have to go back and look at the cases water in their lungs but so many of them are in places where they've already been searched like joey labute in um where was that so columbus ohio there's a really shane montgomery in outside of philadelphia he was they were searching in water that was three feet deep and they couldn't find him they could find his car keys and then like a week later, he shows up in that same body of water. Like, how does that happen? Did he go through some kind of space portal 
Um, but that's a perfect example of a guy who was drinking, kind of got separated from his, uh, you know, friends and went out somewhere and was never seen again alive. So uh, I do think that these most of the cases that I've gone through are definitely people who have met with misadventure. And I think it's kind of the perfect crime. These the police are not incentivized to to research it, and it looks like a you know water death. They don't go through you know, but some of these are really like Tommy Booth outside of Philadelphia is another example. Like he was found in like six inches of water in mm. a place that was easily searched. Now you can look up the Tommy Booth case. You can look up the Chris Jenkins case where the police changed their determination as accidental death to manslaughter over time due to his mom's involvement. But there's so many cases like this where they bungled things or, uh, you know, mis mis mislabeled it as an accident when it really probably wasn't. Right. Now, I was listening to a researcher on a podcast. I think you've been on before. If not, I got to put you in touch with this gentleman, Stephen Snyder. Uh, his well, podcast is. Yeah, his podcast. Recluse. Yeah, yeah, the farm recluse. He he did a podcast with another researchers looking in the smiley face killings in uh, the northern parts of uh, like the maybe the northernmost cases like along the Great Lakes, Wisconsin, uh, and you know, northern up up above Chicago, right? And, Do you remember his name? Do you remember the researcher's name? No, he had you know one of these like. Uh, you know, surnames like, uh, or a pseudonym. So I, I don't remember his pseudonym, but I'll find the episode and send it to you. Yeah. And one of the aspects that I found really interesting, because Stephen actually, he went up there with this gentleman and did a little bit of like boots on the ground looking around. And they were talking about how the bars in this one particular area, there seemed to be more bars than you would normally have in a regular town, like too many bars, almost, uh, you know, a, to you know alert some sort of suspicion you know why are there so many bars in one area and they were talking about how upon further investigation you know there's some stories where people were maybe using these bars to launder money uh i think even in the george floyd case there was something about him going to a bar where he had exchanged counterfeit bills and they were sort of laundering counterfeit through a certain bar that george floyd was a part of um and then you know, it makes me wonder if this sort of crime, the perfect crime, as you put it, I think, you know, that's a good way to, to describe it because it seems to go off without a hitch. What if these bars are somehow complicit? I mean, the bartender is the perfect culprit in the sense that, you know, everybody's implicitly trusting him to make their drinks, right? So he could have some glass that's prepared with the liquid you know, intoxicant in it, throw some alcohol on top, hand it to the victim of the night, and then maybe security knows, okay, throw this guy out, boom, now there he's, you know, and all it takes is for two guys who work at the bar to be a part of it now, and whoever else, you know, is outside. And the other thing that kind of came up in this realm, speculating here, is the, the graffiti that's in all of these locations. What if this is a a sort of marker for the perpetrator set up by whoever's kind of scheming this like hey i'm gonna mark a smiley face at a certain location that's how you know this is the spot you know and, and then there's this sort of kind of prearranging that's going on where you know maybe they know this spot's going to be dark there's not going to be any cops in the region there's not going to be any people in the region so they tag it 
the guy who's you know committing the crime maybe it initiated into this gang right that's his jump in he's got to commit this crime okay i found the smiley face boom throw the guy in the you know i'm i'm speculating here but i think this is what we need to do to start to you know find some some avenues i'm sure you do this all the time looking into this stuff like you know it's a big part of how i'm sure you find more information is just by asking questions and seeing if there's anything there that's an interesting belief. I mean, the, the, when Seamus Gray was found, they, somebody did a smiley face near, near there. I don't know if that's a perpetrator or somebody just culture jamming or, you know, trolling, but there was something there. So maybe that's the case. Maybe that's how they're doing it. And people have surmised, and I think they're correct, is that these guys know where the CCTV cameras are. They know where the police cameras are. And they do that all over the, it's the same thing that happens in the UK where they actually put their CCTV cameras on a website. So you can find out where they are. Like if you're criminally astute and you know, you're going through the planning, you're not like a rage killer or somebody, an impulse type of person. That's what you're going to do. You're going to lurk outside of that area for victims. And that's really what happens. Like I did, there was a guy Wilkins out of uh, Bath UK. There's like video of him walking and he walks outside the camera. Then he disappeared and was later found in a pond. Like literally you would just dust yourself up and get out of there. But uh, Mm. so I think that if this is something going on, like a group of people who are, you know, involved in this kind of activity, you would be smart. And I think that there may be women involved too. Like the cell structure may not just be men. Like maybe that's kind of like what makes these men more uh, susceptible is that, oh, so there's a girl here. Okay, we're fine. There was a killer in uh, France who was like, he was raped young girls, but he had a wife. His wife was involved in it. And she knew, she knew everything. It was right around the same time as Dutroux in that same kind of area in Northern France. Can't remember the name of it, but it is really sick. And they had a kid too, but the husband was like a serial uh, child rapist. And she would, that was how she would, break down the barriers of the women oh you want to get in she'd be talking to him and then the husband would rape and kill him it's unbelievable they would hold him sausage in the house too uh so they would be like locked up in a chamber so maybe something like that's happening i don't know but i do know that the police have kind of dropped the ball on some of these cases um and the one case that like uh where the actual people got involved the family members was this guy Stephen port who is a serial killer in the east of London, and the family requested the CCTV. One of the victims said, yeah, I want the CCTV, something the police didn't do. And they saw that and said, who's that guy with my brother? My brother was found dead the next day. Well, who is this guy? And the police had not looked into it. So there's maybe uh, this this whole thing could be solved if some of the police got on the ball and right. looked at some of these cameras and like looked around or actually put cameras. And people have walked around. There's great interest right now in these cases, uh, new researchers that I've never seen before, because people are detecting a simple pattern in Austin and Chicago, and they're walking around. There's new guys, faces I've never heard their names before, but now I kind of know. One's really famous in Chicago. He has like a million followers on his uh, TikTok, but like they're looking, and you can see the cameras are there. They're, They're looking at the cameras. They're like, what, how are we thinking our way through this? And there's been actually a really interesting case in Boston where there's been other deaths like Kelleher and Hurley, who I remember offhand, but there were a bunch of them there. But this kid was at TD Garden 
and walked out to go to literally go to the bathroom and somebody hit him in the head with a crowbar and he was in the water for two uh, two minutes during a very busy time so why did somebody do that and then that the, like people went in to help him but it was like somebody was like deliberately trying to murder him for i don't know whatever reason whatever strange reason it is like the motive is is really kind of a mystery but uh yeah there's more people involved more people asking questions than i've ever seen it's really incredible an incredible phenomenon that's taking place because there's so many this whole string of deaths yeah, yeah wow that's fascinating it's really really and one more thing before i forget wow. is that if you look very north in thunder bay there's hmm. been a string of indigenous kids found in water there so it's kind of like a body dump like somebody's in the canadian system is like there's like a history of abusing these uh right. indian slash ind really indigenous kids but you can go to Thunder Bay. There's been like five or ten deaths there. So somebody's probably killing and abusing these kids and dumping them in water in Thunder Bay. So it's it's not just young men. So it's just a form of like uh, getting rid of bodies. Yeah. Wow. Now, when it comes to Austin, I was doing some research in Austin a few months ago with some friends on another podcast titled Esoteric America. And uh, one of the things that came up in our research was that the first axe murders, uh, serial killer with an axe, occurred in, in Austin, uh, at least in American history, the first. And uh, with that case, there was rumors or suspicion that it wasn't one lone axeman operating on his own. Some people even thought maybe there was a group involved. Uh, other people that we looked into speculated that the uh, electric companies that set up these public lights soon afterwards maybe were uh, somehow to blame financing a group of people to, you know, cause an imperative for them to you know for their business to kick off i mean that's sort of a uh jaded against capitalism explanation but there is the whole moon tower uh in austin that's where that came from those moon towers that uh you know they're just very tall uh light beam light posts in the city but it was interesting that with this case and several other axe murder cases that there's thought that oh it wasn't one person it was it had to be a group of people has there ever been um you know historically a, a like a criminal group i mean the west memphis three is one example and we will talk about them in a moment but are there any other groups that no doubt yeah the ripper the ripper crew in chicago was a satanic influence group of like three or four guys who preyed on women like they would snatch women and do horrible unspeakable things so that's one example uh a lot of the some of the cases that i've studied on gay serial killers two of them uh authors who wrote books about these stories said that they could not have operated by themselves one was randy Kraft in la who had 100 victims like the guy was a savage serial killer over a long period of time you can look up Randy Kraft, L.A. And then the other one was a guy by the name of Eiler in the Midwest who was a very clever predator, still getting people out of bars. And I think they killed like 18. But he took them back to some place that another guy owned, but they didn't have enough evidence to charge him. So they think that those two were kind of working in tandem. 
And Eiler was kind of a clever guy, like he would switch in between jurisdictions to commit his crime so that the jurisdictions wouldn't work with each other. So he was smart. He eventually got busted and he died of AIDS. But uh, those are examples of people working in, in groups. And just like the, the, the French couple that I just told you about, I wish I could remember their name, like working like a Bonnie and Clyde kill thing. They thought they wrote down and said that they had 30 victims all over France. So this they were up to no good. They were terrible human beings. Mm. So um so I do think that that may be the case. That's what people have to I think the police have to or the the, the public may be the ones who solve these crimes, but uh they have to look out for something unusual, not the obvious kind of caricature of a serial killer. I think they're going to find something very different. Yeah, and you know, maybe I'm biased given my uh recent research, but uh is there any indications that maybe this is a group that's within the university system? I mean, are there is there a pattern here where there happens to be colleges where these victims are found because I mean, you think about a group like, well, Skull and Bones for example, they have other chapters or iterations of itself throughout other universities you know one in utah as far away as utah i mean even california berkeley was set up by a skull and bonesman so clearly they have this kind of they have a building for for that guy is it stroud hall what is it quite daniel quite gilman yeah yeah gilman hall yeah i remember that and and he you know uh, not to put any uh cast any aspersions against the infamous skull and bones i'm not trying to you know in you know say that they're a part of this but that's an example of you know one of these groups that clearly operates outside of its bounds of the university i mean you think there there's a possibility that people of the same age as the victims are a part of this perhaps i mean i, I really don't know i think that it's probably like stephen port was kind of in his 40s and he was a pre- predator for younger boys, younger mm-hmm. men. So I probably would find the middle age. A person, another person who I studied for my second documentary was a guy who was arrested outside of uh, Lansing, Michigan. His name was Latunsky. Look him up, but his social media was so strange. He was formerly married and then became gay and was like literally like a gay prostitute. He was selling himself, but he hated Christianity. And he was part of this kind of network online, kind of like people who were interested in the same things he was, which is bondage, sadomasochism, and like this weird werewolf group that they like had hints to each other, like I'm going out hunting tonight and the stuff like that. They he only got busted for one death, and it's an interesting case because he might be responsible for other deaths, but. Just the fact that he was networked with these people and he had like a uh, hairdresser lover who was never charged. But he actually just got sentenced this year, I think, Latunsky. But he, uh, there was a young man who was on this gay app. His name is easy to remember because his name was Kevin Bacon, like the actor. And then he disappeared and the cops found his, like traced his phone to Latunsky's house. And he, they said, can we come in and look around? He said, yes, they looked around. And they found a secret hidden, the cops, to their credit, uh, found a secret dungeon in his basement. And there was bacon hanging upside down. And uh, his testicles had been removed and Latunsky had eaten them. So something very strange uh, was going on with that. And he actually admitted it in court. 
but he was he was kind of part of this uh weird online underground like i've always surmised or deduced like somebody on fetlife or was doing this or somebody who likes this kind of uh has that kind of kink so i think that that's really kind of what that's the whole thing it's like the something's going on the communication of the internet that has extrapolated or shared this kind of mo to other people around the world so somebody's i think multiple people and cells are involved doing this mo in a very hardcore thing and that's why the cover of my first documentary was like a guy with a two pipes shoved in his mouth getting force-fed water from this old video that was from uh broken which involved this one guy named peter christopherson and it was like a total bdsm type thing and if you follow that video broken i think it was for nine inch nails it follows the exact kind of mo in my mind of what's going on guys go out in cars they find a young guy walking on the street by himself he gets taken to uh you know an underground place horrible things happen and then he they drowned him like that's how strange it is like yeah. that's why people can't think on that level because not the average person doesn't think on that level yeah it makes you want to own a fire alarm if you don't already have one i mean really you got to stay safe out there i mean it's with dangerous. this kind of stuff going on i mean you know, I remember when I was younger, me and my friends, we would just be out all night, you know, doing whatever and didn't really have that kind of thought in our, our mind. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm lucky. Um, maybe I was smart enough to avoid certain situations, but it was scary to think about, you know, especially if you have children, I don't, but, uh, you know, yeah, we, we got to be careful with this. And, you know, one of the things that often is talked about in this, you know, community of, well, conspiracy theorists, I don't know if you would consider yourself a part of that, William, but. Uh, I would uh, say alternate researcher. I don't, all my yeah. stuff is verified. Like, right, I right. don't have, I would say. Don't speculate yeah. all that yeah, much. Yeah. I understand. But it keeps I, me I, out of trouble. Well, and, and in the same line of thought with my previous question, I mean, there are some people out there who see this kind of stuff and think, oh, maybe there are aspects of our government that are committing these sort of crimes in order to give a uh, reason or, a, you know, validation for a surveillance state, right? Because, you know, everybody's afraid. I and mean, that's, I forget the author who who put this together, maybe it was David McGowan, uh, but, you know, he was suggesting that you know, these serial killers were not just lone psychos who had kind of cooked up this idea out of nowhere. They were maybe people who were taken into some secret program, made into killers, and then left out into, you know, the wild, so to speak, to do what they were, you know, and, and what they had become. Yeah, I mean, is there any part of you that thinks that this is organized at that level uh, of military or government? I mean, there have been similar crimes that have taken place uh, near military bases where young men have gone missing. So uh, is there any indication? There was, that, yeah, yeah, there was a guy who I think he worked for the CDC who ended up kind of like uh, as one of these cases. He, he was African-American. I forgot his name offhand, but he had, was found in a river mysteriously. But... I don't know. I never made that kind of view. I didn't have that view looking at these cases that this is some kind of the victims kind of are just so random. What is interesting about the victims, too, is that 
nobody really ever wealthy is has been abducted it's very strange like nobody of son of a famous person or something like that they all seem to be middle class which is very odd maybe they're just the ones out partying late at night at bars i don't know but you almost don't see like something from like silence of the lamb where lambs were the daughter of the senator gets you know abducted Right. But uh, well, that's I don't, I don't, yeah, I haven't seen that evidence. I haven't seen anything that would indicate it was like the, it was run by the government or people with like some kind of, you know, have been tank tampered with by the government. Not to my knowledge. That's what made me think of the, you know, skull and bones th- like thought because you know the Ivy League for the most part is on the East Coast. There's no Ivy League schools on the West Coast, and and for the most part, these crimes tend to you know take place. You know, I don't think the University of Chicago is considered an Ivy League school, but it's definitely, I mean, it, it, it takes the same types that Yale and Harvard do. You know, it's it's one of these schools that's very old and uh, respected. Again, I don't I don't want to bring you into the realms of conspiracy theory speculation too far more than you're comfortable with. But I do wonder, considering what you just said about the the victims tending to be from the same financial demographic, maybe it's these rich, you know, secret society types, you know, preying on what they Good. see as the lesser than. I mean, you know. and Yeah, the University of Chicago is uh, financed by the Rockefellers, so right. I wouldn't know. But there have people surmise there's been strange things like uh, Dakota James was it's like they somebody ran a test on him before. Like he was out. There's a really good article by Nicole Wisensee Egan, and she wrote about his story. The backstory is much is much more curious than just a guy disappearing and being found in water. He had been out. He had called his girlfriend or a girl who was a friend and said, I don't know where I am. Can you come get me? He was scared and he was crying. And she came and get him, and he. the last thing they saw was like a black, like, you know, you'd rent a high-end Uber, like a black kind of limo car, drive off. And he's like, I don't even know where I was for the last six hours. And he was afraid. And then three weeks later, he disappears and is found in water like 40 days later in great condition. He should have been, uh, you know, a human body decays pretty fast. He should have been decayed. He wasn't. So where was he for all that time? And then this other guy that I studied, uh, Joey Labute, like he disappears around the time with the big bodybuilding. Um, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic happens in Columbus. It's the biggest bodybuilding convention in the world. So he just happens to disappear when all these people come into town and then fly out. Right. So it would be like the perfect crime. Like I'm going to go somewhere, commit a crime and leave and They'll never find me because I'm flying back to Miami tomorrow. Right. So it's like strange like that. So, and I've had a friend who said maybe these people are like hostile, like the movie hostile where they're pre-selected, okayed, and then something happens. Like somebody flies in, like that gets super dark, right. super, super dark. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, as we've kind of looked at the pattern here, it does seem to indicate, as you say, you know, that these are, organized groups of people committing these crimes not you know single lone perpetrators uh when it comes to the bodybuilding convention is that another pattern i mean with other cases do you see similar types of events where maybe people you know big groups of people are getting going to a city for one reason or another? no doubt yeah there's definitely a connection between deaths and uh either conventions or 
music venues or mm. things like that like people have come out of pittsburgh like i think the guy's name was james slack he was at one of these you know big festivals and then disappeared and was found in water so yeah i do think that that's that's true and there there was actually there was a heterosexual serial killer who would do that that's how he found his victims was at the you know drunk people at these festivals so i think it's like a predator's you know dream is find people who are drunk find people who are are incapacitated and then they won't even mention anything this guy one guy in chicago like people they're going after people it was after it was like at 2 a.m people walking on the street some guy drove up to him and said hey you want to get in my car i'm your uber he said i didn't order an uber he said well i can give you a ride i've got uh you know booze and wine and uh chewing gum in here you want to get in it's like no way he didn't get in and the guy said that this car was driving in tandem with another car so like why would somebody want to pick him up and how is and what are they doing and so other people have said that so that people have like unsolicited uh ride offers in chicago so maybe that's what they're doing is these these killers that's how they get them into the car drug them or something i don't know yeah but yeah they so the, uh, there is a, a connection with kind of big groups. There was a case a guy left out of the Niners game in Santa Clara was found in the Bay. Like I mentioned earlier, TDI Gardens. I know cases out of there. So, you know, I don't know what happens. I don't I think that it's just like I said, like they're looking for people incapacitated or highly drunk. And then that it's, it's easy game. Now. Chicago is a is sort of a you know unique city in the United States for you know uh, extremely high crime, and uh, for many decades. I mean, it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, there's even been uh, quote unquote terrorist groups within Chicago who were trafficking arms with Libya. I mean, you know, it goes that gets that insane. I think even like rocket rocket propelled grenades have been used within chicago i mean the weapons that make it into that city is just terrible to think about but is there any indications that these people are associated with you know what we would maybe consider like street level gangs uh you know was there is there any incentive for you know because uh, like you say there's no credit cards that are taken people aren't being robbed right so it doesn't seem to fit that uh, chicago has a lot of gangs i'm sure but they are they don't seem to be you know culprits in this or, or you know, we're not not looking. to me no it doesn't seem like that somebody who's thinking and probably older and it mm. kind of reminds me of Gacy, uh, John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer outside Chicago. His last four victims were all thrown in water. So mm. he kind of like, this is how I'm going to get rid of bodies. And if you remember the Atlanta child killer too, that's how he got rid of his bodies. He threw them all in water. And that's how he got caught is actually police were at these bridges trying to, you know, find what, what was going on. And they found this guy drive up in this car. And he may have been networked too. I forgot what his name was. It's an Afro African American guy. So he fit in. And he was actually consistent with other serial killers is that they kill within their ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Um so I didn't I never saw anything having to do with um with gangs at all. Like I, I don't know. Like I think that people may have been caught for other crimes and they just you know didn't get busted for the this type of crime that they're doing. So they're just like this guy Latunsky. Something tells me he's probably done it before. He just got caught for one. So 
I think that that's that's what's going on. I mean, I think that it's they're they're if they're not like what's the mo? It's that they're not trying to steal these people's money or they want them dead. What do they want to do? Why are they going after these victims? You know, that's what the real question is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, again, one of the dangers of being in these sort of fringe subcultures as well, especially like the BDSM community. I mean, you, you know, it just, it seems like, and this isn't a judgment on people who enjoy that sort of thing, but it does seem like our culture has depraved to the point where these sort of crimes can go unnoticed. And that to me, I don't, that's not right. I, I don't, you know, I think people, yeah, they should be able to indulge to some degree, but I mean, when it gets to the point of you know, hurting each other, you know, I don't know. I, again, this might not be your expertise. This is kind of like a psychology talk now, but you know what I mean? I mean, it just feels like culture has kind of, especially with horror movies and, and even the music video you mentioned before, like that type of genre of music has a lot of that imagery. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like we're living in a society that is trying to, you know, get these things by the root, you know, we're just dealing with the, the, rotten fruits right and you even say like a lot of these cops are overlooking things and maybe not even uh and especially in the more recent scope of things with austin they just came out and said oh yeah we don't think it's a a serial killer we don't think these crimes are related but anyone on social media who's looking at this stuff is saying oh it seems like this is you know the sfk right so the police are in denial they did the same thing in boston but uh, yeah, I think that it's the culture has darkened and it's probably not a surprise that these crimes happened within the kind of darkening of the culture and the advent of the Internet. Like they started McNeil is 1997. The Internet's just kind of picking up steam. Somebody's talking and, and on the dark web or something like that or in FetLife. Like I looked into this uh, documentary called Kink that used to be on uh, Netflix. And what it was is like they would do this whole, like total BDSM stuff and then people would stream in, right? And pay to stream in. Like imagine something darker than that, like a snuff flick. And I know snuff flicks do exist. Yeah. And there's been a couple of them out there. And talk about tandem killers. There's one that I forgot, which is uh, Richard Ng and uh, his cohort, the butterfly killers, where they were like literally abducting families and stuff and taking them up into the hills and Maturing women into sex slaves in a dungeon. It was uh, Richard Ng and uh, I forgot his spouse. I forgot the other guy's name. I'll remember Robert Ng. But yeah, so those things, these things happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating too to see now, you know, with criminals like Damien Eccles being kind of, uh, defended by certain celebrities uh you know marilyn manson and others i mean some not as detestable as manson i mean with manson at least you kind of know what you're getting you know he doesn't try to hide it at all but uh, with other certain people who have kind of 
I mean, even in the podcasting community, Duncan Trussell, who I used to think was a interesting person, I don't listen to his show anymore, mostly because of that interview with Damian Eccles. I, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater or anything, but I just think that that, you know, indicates that he's overlooking some really glaring things. And I know you've gone through great lengths to record, you know, the aspects of this, and you've talked about this a bunch, but if you could, for maybe folks who don't know who Damien Eccles is, could you give us a little one-on-one on, on his kind of how he came into this celebrity culture now? Right. It is kind of strange. The, the two tandem killers were Charles Ng, NG, and Leonard Lake. Those are the two guys out of San Francisco. They were capable of just horrible stuff. Uh, but I got into this uh, West Memphis Street case after I wrote my first book, and I realized that Alistair Crowley was involved in it and his ideas. And so then I wrote my first book, a second book, which is Abomination, Double Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Street Murders. It's about the death of three young boys, eight-year-old boys, in May on May fifth, nineteen ninety-three. They were. Uh, like Boy Scouts, they were out, they disappeared. Next day, they were found in water. And then eventually, the cops were doing their work trying to figure out who did it. And they interviewed a kid by the name of Jesse Miss Kelly, kid at the time. And he confessed and, and put the finger on two other people Jason Baldwin, Damien Eccles, real name Michael Hutchison. So they were arrested, they were tried separately, they were found guilty. 1994, the crimes were horrible. Like two kids were drowned, the forensic investigators said two kids drowned, and then another one had his genitalia removed and bled out. So really gnarly stuff. And then um, they just kind of became kind of cause celeb, but there were people got behind him. There were three documentaries from HBO that kind of, I think the second and the third kind of obscured the, the case facts. They, they really were more closer to mockumentaries than documentaries in my mind created kind of a groundswell of support they had sympathizers they got a lot of celebrity sympathizers they still have celebrity sympathizers and some of those sympathizers were people with very deep pockets so it was um johnny depp and the director of the hobbits and the lord of the rings movies his name was uh i can't remember right now but yeah so they got they got out they eventually got a bunch of support. They raised tons of money, 10 to $20 million. They got out in August of 2011 and kind of like the allegations that Eccles was into the occult, uh, I would say turned out to be true because all he's done since he got out is be involved in esotericism and writing books about ceremonial magic and things like that. And, and uh, hanging out with uh, other members of that kind of uh, occult community. A lot of people who I already had or I've studied I didn't know they were connected to him, but um, Genesis P. Orge and some of these other people. So Eccles kind of kind of showed his stripes. He covered his body in occult tattoos and uh, just said recently on a Tim Pool interview, I think it was within the last month or two, that one of the people who influenced him the most in life was Aleister Crowley. So all the stuff that kind of came up in trial He's just kind of verified in this most recent, literally 2023 interview. So and that was kind of a interesting interview and kind of a pretty well-known kind of host, media host, Tim Pool. But 
yeah, he was friends with Trussell. He was on some kind of show of Trussell's, which is called like Midnight IMAX or something like that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still guilty at law, which uh, he's never the, the guilt that he admitted to in 2011 has never really been uh, overturned by any appeals court or anything like that. But uh, he still seems to have a lot of fame and sympathizers. And that's the case because I was getting harassed by them online. So uh, that's where we're at. It's been a long time. But yeah, he, I mean, I think he's in New Orleans now. He went from Salem, Massachusetts to New York City to uh, New Orleans. So I, I don't know what. Uh... And his defenders now, do they do they think that this crime is still unsolved? I mean, that's what know. they say. Yeah, that's what that's what the West Memphis Three say too. They say, "Oh, we got to go out, get out, and find the real killers." They don't yeah. seem to be working very hard trying to find the real killers, <laughs> but they say they're somewhere out there. And I think Echo said in this most recent interview with Tim Poole that he now thinks it was a former member of the police department, which I hadn't heard before. So. Wow. Yeah, that's a convenient lie considering his, you know, uh, supporters are all, you know, the same that had ACAB on their Twitter and and (laughs) Instagrams for the past three years. Right. So I think there there are some kind of tropes going on there. He's playing into the hand of these people. But when you look, I mean, I've heard you and Chris Knowles talk about this and Chris has done some work on this as well. where there were ceremonial aspects to the crimes that or the murders that were committed by uh, that he did admit guilt to. Right. So, I mean, you know, when you when you compare that with the fact that he's still talking about ceremonial magic, clearly that was some sort of magical in his mind, some sort of ritual act that he committed. And uh yeah, unfortunately, jail did not, you know, reform him. It just got incubated his, you know, interests. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, it's really interesting as somebody who personally, you know, I'm fascinated by a lot of those topics. I know where to draw the line, you know, like I could read a book about that and, and proceed no further and say to myself, okay, that's interesting. I know what's there. But anytime, and I'll admit, I've wasted tons of money on certain books when I was younger because uh, I was looking for an answer that, you know, ultimately wasn't there. I think people, you know, who who turn to the occult or the esoteric, uh, if their results aren't personal growth, then I think they they failed. And, you know, I, I honestly think they're wasting their time. Uh, because you don't need those things to grow as a person. There are there are brighter roads to to follow to to take that on. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, how the occult and the esoteric have been veiled by the you know um, again more obscene, darker aspects of our culture, and they're forgiven for those dark aspects because it's artistic expression. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, you don't understand because you're religious or, you know, you don't understand because you're prejudiced, right? I mean, they fall on these uh, excuses and what they're covering up, I think is, is kind of sinister, you know? I mean, there are, there are things to the occult like meditation and, you know, I think all of us can agree that that's harmless, but, you know, when it comes to, uh, 
sacrificing drops of blood you know you start with your own blood and you know what happens when you when you get tired of that you know i think that's yeah it's kind of it's weird right. to talk about <laughs> no it's weird i mean it's kind of like what attracts people to that darker part of it i mean i think it's like right. you're into power deception uh because some esotericism is pretty light like you know meditation or whatever but uh Crowley was probably the darkest of the dark ones you know of the dark uh adepts or whatever so um following him or wanting to admire him says a lot i think about those type of people's character but uh right. he's still an influence i mean a lot of those people in the arts and uh heavy metal and things like that go through a Crowley phase they read him and are influenced by him and his uh, practitioners and Thelemites are still out there, Thelemites. Yeah. And, you know, I myself, I've talked about Crowley on podcasts. You know, I've made it uh, a goal to try to understand him and even try to look past, you know, the what people say about him. Because, you know, at the end of the day, um, he himself was never found guilty of any crimes, although he definitely, uh, I think, orchestrated a ideology that maybe entertained the minds of people who would then go on to commit crimes right i think he inspired people to take a darker road in life but uh yeah it's interesting with crowley uh you know he himself seems to have kind of taken a uh as you said with the people who get ghb a route of misadventure you know i mean even finding himself kind of whacked out on cocaine heroin and who knows what else when he was writing a lot of those books that you know guys like johnny depp claim they've read you know dan damian eccles they say they've read these books but i've i've looked through some of uh these books and if anybody tries to read books that are more than 50 60 70 years old i mean maybe this says something about my public education, but it's definitely written in a tone and a context that's not immediately obvious, right? I, you know, I think there's a certain prose and style, the way people wrote a uh, hundred years ago that maybe we have become less sophisticated as a culture or something, but I tried to read Crowley when I was younger and a lot of what he wrote either didn't make sense or went over my head. And I'm glad it went over my head if it did, because, yeah, it doesn't seem to have uh, inspired much good. Uh, but is there is there anything that you found when you you researched Crowley that would be like a redeeming quality or do you do you consider him sort of like altogether a negative net negative for humanity? A net negative. Yeah, I'm fine yeah. about net negative. I think that he obfuscated the truth uh he was anti-christian i think his values are do what thou wilt which means that he believed in total freedom mm -hmm. and i think he was a monster so there's nothing really there i mean the the what made him successful he could have took those energies that he used to kind of create this new aeon the birth of the child the aeon of horus he could have used that to do something creative i mean much more creative than what he did or put it to a business end or something like that. But instead he just was an occultist his whole life. So uh, I think his achievements are all in that negative. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And all the people that he ruined, the lives he's ruined, the people he drove to madness and suicide Yeah. Uh, for this kind of fantasy 
cultism of power and communicating with evil spirits and stuff. It just, it didn't end him. It didn't net anybody anything that great. Right, right. There's even, uh, I think his name was Victor Neuberg, was the guy who he basically just used and abused. And uh, I think he ended up in a mental institution among a couple of other of his associates. So, yeah, that, I mean, uh, we can't say that he was ever arrested for any of that, but he certainly was not care caring about those people. Yeah. yeah. His yeah. first wife was uh, into the mental institution, Kelly. Right. There were suicides. A guy by the name of Mud committed suicide. One of his followers died at the Abbey of Thelema. He didn't have anything to care for his kids. He said to one of his, oh, she'll make a good whore. I mean, he he really was a, a nasty, craven creature. So yeah, uh, his personal relationship, I mean, he branded the women with like a brand like you'd brand a cow with the mark of the beast. So. Well, and considering, you know, Richard Spence's work uh, tying him possibly to certain aspects of the British intelligence, I mean, do you think there's any indications that uh, he maybe uh, informed groups like the CIA in their kind of, you know, what they've now been found guilty of? I don't think they've ever been, you know, prosecuted for it, uh, but what was going on with like interrogations and whatnot and torture, I mean, torture of prisoners of war and things like that, right? I mean, you think maybe he influenced... I don't know how much he influenced on that. I mean, but that kind of... Black, you want to talk about Skull and Bones, they were the ones behind the National Security Act, which gave birth to the CIA. So um, how many of those... I'm, I'm convinced that Crowley's books are in their secret library, so they know of Crowley. They just don't admit it. Um, and then there is a library in the tomb. So the overlap is probably there. And Crowley really only hung out with the, the upper elite anyway, people who were hanging out at Yale. He never, he didn't have any middle class or lower class sensibilities. He just saw them as slaves. Slaves shall serve. I'm rich. You know, I'm a talented guy. So you'll do what I tell you. But yeah. I mean, how much of the overt uh, influence of Crowley on them? I mean, I think it's accepted. Spence's work uh, was great, but. There's no doubt he was in an asset probably his whole life, all the way to the end, 47. He was always a loyalist to the Britain. He likened himself to John Sykes' dog from like Oliver. So, Well, and considering uh, what came out about um, Savile and him being pretty much protected uh, and committing all these heinous, despicable crimes against children and and even elderly people and corpses corpses yeah i mean it seems like crowley is not the last of this type <laughs> within england and maybe... and and savile said he admired crowley according to, according to tim tate's book so right well in this to verify that but that's my well, understanding so he knew that stuff too he yeah there is a nexus connection to Skull and Bones because Theodore Roos, who started the OTO, which I believe uh, Crowley kind of infiltrated or was a part of at some time in his... He became the head in 1925. Yeah, and, and but Theodore Roos, he was kind of in the same circles that the founders of Skull and Bones were in, right? Because these guys, they went over to the University of Berlin uh, during their junior year summers and came back to Skull and Bones and you know, or came back to Yale and founded Skull and Bones, right? So, I mean, this is speculative, but maybe they were kind of rolling in the same uh, German occult circles. I mean, have you looked into the OTO much and uh, before or after Crowley? 
I've kind of tried to. I mean, it's a lot easier now with translations and research online. Mm. But there was definitely people around uh, Hitler and things like that and and uh, Crowley who were from the OTO. A guy's name was, was Hitler's favorite artist was an OTO member. So he had to have known Crowley. Mm. And uh, his, I can't remember his name off, off the top of my head, Frank. But there was all kinds of art that Hitler, like when that guy died, Hitler went to his funeral. So Kidler had to have known the OTO was around and is my guess that he was much more aware maybe than historians would be interested in. But Hitler was an esotericist, no doubt. Yeah. Like all his stuff, like he was in the, what was it, the organization. He was Ostara. He would follow these kind of German, you know, mythic uh, German, you know, forgot the orders it was. He would always get their magazines and read them. So he was he was involved in all that stuff. Yeah. Considering what we're starting this conversation about, uh, it just crossed my mind that the OTO has, you know, current groups, chapters, uh, lodges, whatever they call themselves, in Austin, in Chicago, in the Great Lakes area, in New York, uh, and possibly other places. Is there any connection <laughs> with this? I mean, OT, the the contemporary OTO and any crimes? Have Have you looked into you know what the OTO is up to these days? It's a good question. There are all there are all over the place. Eccles was a member of the OTO in um, in Arkansas when he was there, so I know that. What uh, whether those crimes any obvious OTO crimes? I don't know. I've included one like a Crowley cult in Britain. But that that was literally doing like Crowley rituals, satanic stuff with children, uh, child sex abuse. Um, that guy's name was Bately. You can look him up. He was seemingly seemed to be uh, network like he was traveling around Europe. Nobody knows what he was doing. But yeah, he was a Crowley type. So there are crimes associated with like Crowleyites and things like that. But some overt ones, not off, not off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly seems to have inspired a whole, you know, subculture of, of people and, you know, whether or not that, you know, leads someone to commit a crime or maybe people who are prone to commit crimes are interested in this stuff. And that's just part and parcel to that, their psychology. I mean, I wouldn't know. I definitely don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on these things because, you know, I'm sure there are healthy, normal people who find entertainment in things that, you know, you and I wouldn't. I personally, I don't like gore or any violence like that in a movie. I just don't watch those movies. I don't want those films to be made personally, but I'm not going to go and protest them being made, right? It's just the way it is. But when it comes to these crimes, I mean, we can all agree that nobody should lose their life uh, for someone else's ritual. No one should be sacrificed to someone else's God. I mean, that those kind of things are barbaric and despicable. And if this is going on, I mean, Chris Knowles, to bring him up again, he's talked about Chris Cornell's death and how there were occult aspects to it, possibly relating to the siren. Do you think that maybe the smiley face killings have a, an occult undertone to them, be given that you know all the victims end up in water? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, they may be sacrificing these being people to the god of the underworld, you know, Typhonian type stuff. Right. So there are kind of ritual elements that involve water. I'm not an expert on that, hmm. but they may be thinking that that's what they're doing. Like, 
Neptune is if you go back to like Greek myth, right? Like Zeus is on Olympus, and then I think it was Neptune or one of the gods is underneath with the trident, right? right. He's always yeah. angry because he got shoved down into the bottom of the, the ocean mm. from the gods. He wants revenge. Mm. So maybe that's really what, what they're doing. I don't know. I'm not part of that. I only have like an internet connection. So I don't know what these guys are thinking, but I think that there's some strange stuff going on with the yeah. smiley face involved. Just the fact that that symbol is associated with the occult. I know what it means. It's, you know, it's like you smile through tragedy. So there's all kinds of weird kind of Greek themes involved, maybe that yeah. would indicate secret society or secret knowledge, esoteric knowledge. But, yeah. you know, I don't have I don't have proof of that. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Chris Cornell, like some of these guys are hung in the bathroom with a red sash. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what uh, happens, but I, I think that there's it might be more prevalent than people, you know, really wanting to uh, acknowledge. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time here on the show to talk about all this, William. Uh, so given the recent, uh, you know, cases in, in Austin and Chicago, I mean, you're going to be looking into those, I'm sure. But uh, what else is on the horizon for you? Have any future books you're planning? Anything that's coming out soon that you'd like to promote? Just my podcast. People can see all my work on the Smiley Face Killers and some of the updates and things like that. Uh, you can just look for it anywhere. iTunes, William Ramsey Investigates. But I do have some projects I'm trying to get done, but I'll announce them once I put them out. But uh, you can find copies of the two documentaries I did on Vimeo, Smiley, under Smiley Face Killers and William Ramsey. And there, it's interesting because I can tell the interest is high in Austin because that's about the number one spot where people are watching my uh old documentaries which are i think stand up to time but uh yeah yeah i'll try to get a couple things out hopefully this month i'm really trying trying to get it done wonderful well i'm glad that uh we're in touch and i hope to have you back on when there is more to talk about please update me when you do release whatever you're working on and uh yeah, thank you so much. Any thoughts, final thoughts for the audience? I mean, there may be people in Austin or Chicago listening to this. Be safe. Do not go out. When you go out drinking or out with friends to do some of those uh, activities, you should go out like you're going into the jungle in Vietnam. Everybody gets home alive. Don't leave your friends alone. And men have to act just like that as well as women. And things are just getting more dangerous. There's tons of fights and craziness and guns these days so be safe and uh watch out for one another that's what happens it's almost like the serengeti the one animal that gets separated from the herd gets eaten so Mm -hmm. don't be that one that gets separated and don't be a walk alone so there's something strange going on i don't know all the things but these deaths that are happening all over and they're happening in iowa city minneapolis pittsburgh moscow boston these are not standard kind of uh, missed, like somebody goes out and drowns accidentally. Maybe some of them are, but there's so many cases right now that something strange is happening. So be safe, be careful. Yeah. And typically people are walking from the wherever they're living to wherever they're going, right? I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, people who like 
where I'm from, the drinking culture is to bring a designated driver. So I think that's something if you're, even if you're walking folks, you know, bring somebody with you who, you know, sober, get your sober friend out with you, let him out on the fun and also have them, you know, keep an eye on everybody. Cause yeah, I mean, maybe that is why these sorts of things happen less where people are, you know, driving to and fro, but, uh, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good observation. It really is them alone walking. So they get separated either by a bouncer or something happens. But uh, those are the victims. They're always seen walking alone at some point. It really is a good good observation. Well, thank you, William, for being here. Thank you for putting this research together and helping people stay informed and staying safe because, you know, this is how we, we gain the awareness. You know, if this isn't going to be reported in the media, somebody's got to talk about it. And uh, I'm grateful that there are folks like you with sound mind uh, researching this and ha- trying to you know, make a better world. So until next time, folks, support William Ramsey. Go check him out. William Ramsey Investigates is the name of the website and the podcast. And you could search him on Vimeo. Just search William Ramsey, Smiley Face Killers to find out more about what we talked about today. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right.